0: Hi, this is Dr. John Ankerberg. I invite you to dig into God's Word today with my dear friend, the late Dr. Wayne Barber, as he leads you verse-by-verse through the Bible.
1: Joshua chapter 4. Now we're in the series, in the incredible journey. Remember, I'm not teaching Joshua. I'm lifting out of Joshua things that can encourage us in our Christian walk. Remember, Israel had an external covenant. They were given a land. We have an internal and eternal covenant where we're given a life in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the way they entered into that land is the same way we enter in and experience what's already ours in Christ. So far, we've seen on this journey, experiencing what you already have in chapter 1, 1 through 5. We've seen facing life in God's strength in chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. And then in chapter 3, last time, we talked about walking on the water of God's Word. God speaks, we focus on Him, we step out on what God says and it holds us up. But today, Father's Day, 2012, it's amazing how it falls. It's amazing how God's way ahead of us on all of this. We want to talk about letting God be your legacy. A legacy is something that's passed on for future generations. Uh, from a definition I looked up, it could be any something material, like uh, property or something like that. But much more importantly than that, it, it's an intangible quality of life that is passed on to a generation to follow. And this is the this is the way I want to follow it today. This is our focus today. The question is, as believers, what kind of legacy, what kind of lifestyle are we living that we're passing on to the generations? to come all of us whether we like it or not are leaving an intangible legacy by the way that we make choices by the way that we live life we're sending an invisible signal to those who come along behind us of how to live life it's a legacy that we're leaving now we all have heard the phrase like father like son i've heard that so many times But actually, it's so much like Stephen and his dad, or the acorn doesn't fall far from the tree. All of us have heard that. Now, that can be good, or that can be a bad thing. It all depends on whether life that the life that we're living is about us, or is it about Christ? If it's about us, we're leaving the wrong kind of legacy. We're leaving the wrong kind. We're sending the wrong message. For instance, I've talked to so many people. Over the years. And to them, their legacy they're leaving to their children is more about a work ethic, more about succeeding in life, more about what you can do in life, how many ball games they've won in the, in, in the past, how many trophies they've collected, uh, how, how many records they have set, how much money they have made. And that's all it is. It's all about them, and it's all about what they did, and it's all about what you can accomplish. And, junior, comes right along, sucks right into that kind of message, right into that mentality, and drags that mentality right into his Christian life, and one day ends up as a leader of the church with no clue what the Christian life really is. Why? Because there was a generation that passed right on to him a lifestyle that was nothing to do about Christ. We want to talk today about letting God be our legacy. You see, living a life that points only to Christ That's the kind of message we want to send. That's the kind of signal we want to leave behind us. Now let me get you into this, and you'll see how I got there. Last week we saw that the Israelites stepped out of the water of the raging river Jordan. Remember the current is so fast, it descends 27 rapids, it descends over 1,000 feet, but it's at flood stage. It's even much worse. It's complicated that way. Now, first of all, they consecrated themselves before God. That's always the thing that you've got to remember. Then after freshly yielding themselves to him, in full surrender to him, they stepped out, trusting God's word and his, his promises that he's going to deliver them. And they're, they're facing an impossible situation. All of Israel's eyes were focused on the ark which was carried by the priests, 3,000 feet in front of them so that every one of them could be reminded they're not doing this by themselves. God is leading them through. He's out in front of them. The ark was a picture of Christ to us today. So consecrated, yielded, focused, they entered into the land. And this is the land that God had already given to them. They entered into the land that was already theirs, and they entered in by the grace of God. But here's something I want you to, uh, to, to pay attention to. Whereas at the Red Sea, God delivered them from a captivity. He delivered them from what held them into bondage, which is a beautiful picture of our salvation. But at the Jordan River, He wasn't delivering them from a captivity. He was ushering them into something. He removed the obstacle that was in front of them that hindered them from entering in to where He wanted them to dwell. By trusting God, they died to sin at the Red Sea. But on the same token, by trusting God, the same exact faith, they died to self at the Jordan River. It was by faith both times. And this is exactly the way it is for you and I. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 6, As you therefore have received Christ Jesus, so walk you in him. The same faith that delivered them at the, at the Red Sea is the same faith that delivered them at the Jordan River and the new covenant when we received the lord jesus into our hearts and prayerfully all of us have this morning if you have it it'll be a wonderful opportunity but when we died we died at that very moment when we came and we bowed and we understood that we're sinners and we could not save ourselves and we received him into our hearts by giving of ourselves to him we died to the penalty of sin at that very moment and we were transformed and, and made made into a brand new creature romans 8 1 says therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's no penalty of sin that we have to be fearful of. In verse 2 says, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh but according to to the Spirit and now as believers daily we are to die to the power of self we died to the penalty of sin now we die to the power of sin which in essence is self when you say sin remember the middle letter tells you what it is it's the big I the middle letter for the word pride is the big I so when we learn that daily we die to self it says in Romans five ten. for if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the faith of his son the death of his son, much more, having been reconciled, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And Galatians 2.20 says it even more clearly, brings both truths in. It says in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith. This is the way I live, in the Son of God who loved me, and gave himself up for me. You see, this is what I want you to see. The ark, when it touched the river, caused the river to back up. The the river had to back away. Christ in us defeats self when we yield to him and step out on his word. And what a picture the Jordan River is of our flesh. If you just think about it for a second, the raging current and the flooded waters It's incredible how powerful the flesh is. I wonder this morning if we understand how powerful it is. You see, God's will has never changed. Our victory is in the Lord Jesus Christ. He has given us a life. He wants us to walk and to live in it. But we're not going to experience it if we're not willing to bow before him, to step out on his word, to keep our focus on Christ before we can, can begin to experience it. We've got to deal with the sin that does so easily beset us. And all of us have a besetting sin. We can't point fingers. Every single person has a cave that he runs to when he's not yielded to the Lord Jesus Christ. You can write that down. Don't ever feel isolated because there's always a cave we run to. The way we say no to sin and to self is by saying yes to Christ. That was the most exciting thing to me. I grew up focusing on sin. And then finally one day, guys, i Beautiful believer named Roy Hessian said, why are you looking at the sin? Why don't you look at the Savior? Victory's not you overcoming sin. Victory's Jesus overcoming you. Well, once we have said yes to him and hear from his word, step out of what he says, we realize what we've had in him all along. And here's the point. And the Jordan of our flesh ceases to hinder us. It has to back off. Israelites stepped into the water, the Jordan River, and it backed up 17 miles. Now listen to this, to the city of Adam. Does that grab you at all? The name of the river is Descender. And look at how far it backs up to the city of Adam. And you think of Adam's sin, and you think of how we inherited that as we were birthed into this world, but we still have the same tendencies and proclivity to it as believers. And how it gets worse and worse and worse and worse. And the the flesh never gets any better. I thought that when I got to this age, somehow, that some of these things would just quit bothering me. They don't quit. They intensify. That's why it's an exchange life. That's why everything that we're not for everything that he is. And the moment we bow before him, that old raging river of the flesh has to back off because the ark has pierced its presence. All the wonders of what God alone can do when we unleash his power by simply letting Jesus be Jesus in us. Self has to back off. Now as we enter chapter 4, the people cross over, they're crossing over, and the priests are remaining out in the middle of the river until verse 18. It's funny, when I was studying this, I'm thinking, how did they go out in the middle of the river and get the stones that we'll see in a moment if it was still flying, and I thought, oh, Wayne, you dummy, you keep reading. Then It's amazing when you just keep reading the text. It just sort of clears up a lot of these questions. Because the priests are still out there. The river is still backed up. Now, the thing that you want to see in the message today, every bit of this is about God, not about Joshua, not about Israel. Joshua and Israel left a legacy that day. They not only made one, but they left one that day, what God can do when a person is yielded to Him. And this is the question I want you to know, just run through your minds today. What kind of legacy are you living? What is the legacy? What is the story that you have to share with somebody that only God can do? What is the lifestyle that you can pass on to a generation of just trusting Him and never trusting your flesh, only trusting Him? I don't, dads, listen, pay real close attention to that because we have little eyes watching us in everything that we do. What kind of legacy are we passing on to them? First of all, in this story that we're going to read today, the account of God's working in Israel, a memorial was erected. A memorial was erected. A memorial is something that is to be remembered by future generations. It is something you build and establish, and then it goes on forever for people to look back and remember. Verse 1 of Joshua 4. Now when all the nations, had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord spoke to Joshua, saying, Take for yourselves twelve men from the people, one man from each tribe, and command them, saying, Take up for yourselves twelve stones from here, out of the middle of the Jordan, from the place where the priest's feet are standing firm, and carry them over with you, and lay them down in the lodging place where you will lodge tonight. That's so significant. One man representing each tribe, one man from each tribe, send them back into the middle of the river where the priests are still standing. Tell them to pick up a stone. And verse 5 indicates the stones were so heavy, they had to carry them on their shoulder. Verse, look at verse 4 first. So Joshua called the 12 men whom he appointed from the sons of Israel, one man from each tribe. And Joshua said to them, Cross again to the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan, and each of you take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Israel. Take that rock, have it as it is, put it up on your shoulder and bring it across. Now, these 12 stones were to be erected into a memorial that was going to be placed at the first place they camped, which we'll see later on, is Gilgal. And so they wanted a memorial to stand there to remind every generation and every group of people that followed on uh, behind them they wanted to remind them of what only God can do. The crossing of the Jordan River It was a reminder forever. Verse 6 says, let this be a sign among you. Not just for future generations, but for you. They hadn't got to Jericho yet. And here it was, and he said, build this memorial to, to attribute to what only God can do. They were to remind Israel what would happen if they just continue to say yes to God, if you'll just say yes to Him, step out on what He says, then you're going to see the the rivers back away from you. These 12 stones were to remind them. The memorial, however, was all about God. The legacy was all about God. That's so key. Verse 6 goes on, and by the way, dads, really pay attention to this. So that when your children ask later, saying, what do these stones mean? No, that's not what he says. What do these stones mean to you? This is very individual. Okay, dads, line up. What are all these stones? You see the memorial. You were there. You watch what God did. What do these stones mean to you? He says... Then you can say to them, because the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall become a memorial to the sons of Israel forever. Now you've got to understand what's going on here. Larry Munson, and I'm a Tennessee fan, but I like Larry Munson, who was the broadcaster for the Georgia football games, the deceased now. But he would always say, and my son would repeat it to me over and over, he's a big Georgia fan, I pray that he'll repent. But Larry Munson used to say all the time, now get the picture, now get the picture. You're on a ball field, you're on the radio, you can't see anything. He becomes your eyes. And he says, now get the picture, what's going on. Usually when he would say that, Tennessee's on the one foot line their own (laughs) and uh, about to lose a game. But anyway, now get the picture. Now in the picture that we have, we need to get right here. You realize that Israel for 40 years had not seen this. Because for 40 years, all they had done was disobey God. They circled out, Sinai about 40 more 40 years, and none of them got to the cross except Joshua and Caleb. This is a brand new generation that finally, finally get to go into that which God says was already yours. And what a picture the wilderness is of the people that will not. Go on and bow before Christ. What a picture. The wandering, the confusion. A new generation now is about to go over. And look what they witnessed on the first time they trusted God. They saw the rivers of the Jordan back up. As a result, they're free from all the wandering and all the confusion of their parents. And they got to walk into the fullness of what God had given to them. These 12 stones were to stand as a reminder for all generations to come Of how that faith unleashes all that God has for us. God had laid the ground rules back in chapter one. Remember, take your shoes off every every step that you take. Consider to be holy before me. They were never to forget this, and they were to pass this way of trusting God, this lifestyle. This legacy, it was a legacy to their children. This is how you live. This is how you live. You don't want to go back and be like your grandparents because they walked in wilderness and confusion for 40 years. But this is how we want you to live. Trusting God and letting the ark, his presence, drive away the force of all the rivers of your flesh. What an illustration to us. The Christian life is simply that. What are we teaching our kids? What are we leaving to the generation to come? What are we telling them about how to face difficulties in life? How are we communicating that that invisible message of how to live? It's only when we we have yielded and surrendered to him that we possess what we already have. You know, these 12 stones were intensely personal because there were 12 tribes of Israel. If you remember correctly, not all of Israel did what God told them to do once they got there. Each one one of them had to learn to possess the land that God said is yours. It's just very personal. It's very unique in how you can't just look at the nation. You've got to look at the tribe. You've got to look at the individual and the choices that they are making. Well, I guess to get real personal this morning, you say, Wayne, you're making me uncomfortable. Yeah, me too. I'm in the same boat. Let me ask you a question. What kind of memorials have you already built? that stand for your children to learn from in the legacy that you're leaving behind. One of the biggest mistakes I have made in the 43 years, Diane and I have been married, and Stephanie will be 42, I think, coming up, the last part of this year. But one of the biggest mistakes that we made, I think I've made, is not writing them down. I wished I'd have kept a journal and written down every single time God did a special thing. And you know, Hey, I'm getting older, but some of you are not quite there, and some of you are looking back at me as a youngster. So wherever you are, a good place to start is right now. You know, one of the best things in the world to do is sit down with your family and let's write out our own memorials of what God has done in our life. The raging, maybe, maybe you're here this morning and God's trying to remind you. This is very individual. Maybe God's trying to remind you of something in your life. Maybe the river has so been raging of flesh has been so raging in your life that it's all that it's now at a flooded stage and you don't really know where you're going to go from here and maybe this message today is ordained just for you to hear it to be reminded and if you claim to be a christian look back to when god saved you from what you were look at how he and he alone could do that in your life and think back when you cried out to Him what He's done for you. And maybe somehow this morning, God could bring you to that place of entering into the fullness of what you've been neglecting for so long in your life but I, I tell you what the thing that haunts me is there are eyes behind us that are watching us and now with grandkids there's a whole bunch of new set of eyes and they're looking to see they're looking to see how does mom and daddy live how does grandma and how's grandpa live i want to know how to live and how we are passing that on without even saying a word by the way we choose to live is incredible when we bow and surrender to Christ, the river of self has to back off and everything from then on points only to Christ. Everything. What is God trying to say to you today? What is the memorial? What are the memorials, I should say, that you have already erected to be a reminder of what God has done in your life? I'll never forget. I, I was thinking about it when I was preparing this message back when I needed a pair of shoes and Stephen was about four or five of it. Stephanie was two or three. And I remember we didn't have the money to buy a pair of shoes. It was snowing outside. And I remember one night the four of us got down on our knees and we asked God to give me a pair of shoes because I had holes in mine and water would get up in it and my socks were soaked all the time. And I I didn't, we just asked God. The next morning a man woke us up knocking on the door early we went to the door the man had a box the man said wayne god put on my heart to give this to you and i opened it up and it was a pair of shoes that fit me which was a miracle and they were boot shoes that were waterproof and i'll never forget the look on my son and my daughter's face when they realized that this man did not even know that i needed a pair and that God had done it and had begin to build a memorial. And we can look back now and look at all the times, all the times that God has done this. And this communicates to a generation to follow us. Not all the, the power of self and what we can do, but when we say yes to God, when we say yes, Jesus, God begins to do in our life what we now know we could have never accomplished. And we send an invisible message. To those little ones that are following behind us. I just want to ask you a question. What kind of memorials have you built? There was a memorial erected when they walked through. And oh, that picture, don't lose that picture. The ark touching the water. The ark, the scripture clearly says, it doesn't just say the Jordan River backed off. It says when the ark of the Lord entered it. And the ark of the Lord today is the Lord Jesus Christ in our life. Well, a memorial was erected. But secondly, a leader was exalted. I love this. Remember this. It's all about God. It's not about Joshua. However, there is a man that God wants to use, and that man has got to make a choice. And Joshua made a choice to do what God told him to do. Is he perfect down the road? No. But in this particular situation, Joshua made the right choice. Moses appoints Joshua. At God's command to be the leader of Israel into the land God had given to them. But Joshua still had to make a choice. To the degree he was willing to do what God told him. Now listen carefully. The people were willing to follow him. His leadership was earned through fellowship. Look what he says here in verse 8. Thus the sons of Israel did as Joshua commanded took up the 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, just as the Lord spoke to Joshua, according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Israel, and they carried them over with them to the lodging place and put them down there. Then Joshua set up 12 stones. Now watch this one. Then Joshua set up 12 stones in the middle of the Jordan at the place where the feet of the priest who carried the Ark of the Covenant were standing, and they are there to this day. I want to show you an insight of that. We have no command anywhere where God told Joshua to do that. And from verse 9, it indicates Joshua did it himself. He didn't have 12 men to take 12 stones out into the river. He himself put the, the altar into the, the river, that memorial into the river. Why? And I want to give you a thought. I think he put it there as a personal reminder between him and God. Because nobody could see them once the river came down. But yet he knew those stones were there. And Joshua understood right where the ark stood is where he put those stones in the middle of the river. Not only what memorials have you erected in your family life and with your own wall, but what about your personal time? What is it between you and God that you have built an altar that you can, if you depart from it, you can run back to it? You can always come back to knowing what God, who God is and what only God can do in your life well we don't know that for a fact that's just a thought the assignment of the priest was to stand in the middle of the river until everyone had crossed and they had obeyed verse 10 for the priest who carried the ark were standing in the middle of the jordan until everything was completed that the lord had commanded joshua to speak to the people according to all that moses had commanded joshua now watch this phrase and the people hurried and (laughs) cross, that's where I get the idea, the priest out in the middle of the river saying, come on, come on, there's a big wall of water 17 miles back, move it, move it, and they hurried to get across. All the people now are on the banks of the river. Verse 11, and when all the people had finished crossing, the ark of the Lord and the priest crossed before the people. God was totally in control of this, even to the point that 40,000 of the Transjordan tribes, and I'll explain that in a minute, Reuben, Gad, and half the tribe of Manasseh, they also came over to fight because they had promised Moses they would do it, they would go over with the people. Because, let me read the verse first. Verse 12, the sons of Reuben and the sons of Gad and the half tribe of Manasseh crossed over in battle array before the sons of Israel, just as Moses had spoken to them, about 40,000 equipped for war crossed for battle before the Lord to the desert plains of Jericho. Now, i want to talk to you about this bunch. transjordan means these were the two and a half tribes that chose not to live over in, in canaan they chose to live on the other side of the jordan this is an interesting bunch this is an interesting bunch they will go over and fight with them but they're not going to live there What is Canaan? The place where God wants them to dwell. What is the Canaan that we rest in today? It's the fullness of the life that Christ has for us. And here are those that have come out of the Red Sea. Here are those that are the generations next um, Actually, their parents came through. And here are those who said, we're not going to live over there. We like the grazing over here. Now, we'll go fight with you. We'll go fight with you. But we're not about to live where God wants us to live. In in chapter 22, they build an altar on the other side. And Israel looks at it as an act of war. And they get ready they they're, they're going to come after us. We're going to take them out. <laughs> and then they came back and said, no, 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 no. We put the altar over there. We, we wanted an altar over there so that we can tell our children, we're with you down the road. But we're going to live over here. We're going to live over here. Do you see where I'm going with this? They're still around today. Hey, I love you. I don't know anybody, anybody that I'm trying to nail, so I'm I mean, I'm clear. The shoe, shoe I guess if a shoe ever fits, wear it. <laughs> I told you, I don't know. There's a lot of people today that love to identify with Christians, and some they'll even spend some pain being with them, but they will not reside where God wants them to reside in the fullness of Christ. They'd rather live on the other side of the river, hindered from living in that which God says is theirs. I don't want to tell you. I've been in the work almost 50 years now. There are a dime a dozen. They're everywhere. They talk the talk. Everybody thinks they're walking the walk, but you get around them for a while. Oh, they'll run over here, and they'll, they'll hoot and holler with the rest of them, but they're not about to reside there. They're going back to the other side. And if you've been over in that part of the world, why in the world would they think that's better grazing? It's nothing but pure desert. It's incredible, the difference. You say, Wayne, you're spiritualizing a passage. Probably so. (laughs) But it hit me when I was studying it. The people that today are the trans-Jordan people that will not live and what God says is theirs. But here's our point. That was just a rabbit trail. Watch how the leadership of Joshua is proven and established amongst the people. Verse 14. On that day, the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel so that they revered him just as they had revered moses all the days of his life when it was all said and done after the miracle had taken place god exalts joshua now god's the one truly exalted but i want you to see this joshua had been faithful he had done to do what god told him to do and now people saw him him as their leader he didn't take a course in leadership understand where i'm headed with this he didn't get a certificate that says you're now a leader No, he simply obeyed God. And because of that, the people behind him followed him. And I want to say a word to the dads. Dad, you want to be a spiritual leader of your family? God says simply, just trust me. Bow before me. Get into my word and do what I tell you to do in the power that I'll give to you. Don't worry about your family. They'll follow you if they see what's real in your life. As you follow me, God would tell them, I'll empower you and your family to follow you. We live in a day that stresses leadership, but God doesn't. God stresses fellowship. Because if we're not a follower of God, we'll never be a leader of men. Period. Verse 14, on that day the Lord exalted Joshua on the sight of all Israel, so that they revered him, just as they had revered Moses all the days of his life. And you know what the word revered is? It's the word respect. Isn't it something we all want respect? We no respect. Remember Rodney Dangerfield? No respect. Had a wreck the other day, and the car came and towed me away. Hey, it just, I mean, you know, it's just, it's, it's, the truck came and towed me away. It, it, he was, he, that's his famous line, no respect. I've heard, it, I've heard it so many times. I've said it many times. But the word revered means respect. Dad, I guess the question is, do your kids see Christ in you? Not how successful you are, but do they see Christ in you? Do they see the Christian leader that makes decisions in tough times based only on what God's Word says and how God is leading? Has God exalted you in your family's lives? Well, sometimes he'll give a sweet little glimpse of that. And uh, the rest of it we trust by faith. But I heard this past week that Stephen had taken Luke to the camp. And Luke is just fired up to be in little camp. He's only five, by turn six. And he's having the best time with these junior hires because they're older to him. And he called home uh, Tuesday night. uh, Stephen called, but Luke was on the phone. And he told Diana, he said, Nana? He said, this is wonderful what's going on here. And Daddy's preaching and said, we've got snacks in the room. Jake had put snacks in all the (laughs) room. He was real excited about that, all the food that was in the room. And we've got this. His voice was real high-pitched and real high-pitched. He just kept talking and talking and talking and talking. Well, finally, Stephen got on the phone. And Diana said it. I was in the other room, but I heard her. She said, Stephen, do you understand what's happening? You're doing with Luke exactly what your daddy did with you. And Stephen said, I know it. I know it. Every now and then you get a glimpse. But that's what I'm talking about. A leader is a follower, and there have been times in my life I've been the worst leader I've ever lived. But I'm talking to all of us. I've, there's no big eyes, little using here. I'm talking to every one of us, guys especially. If we're not going to follow, we have no business thinking we can lead anybody. Because God doesn't stress leadership; God stresses followership. A memorial was erected, a leader was exalted, but finally, a legacy was established. The text now jumps back to the priest as they came out of the riverbed. Verse 15, now the Lord said to Joshua, Command the priest who carried the ark of the testimony that they come up from the Jordan. So Joshua commanded the priest saying, Come up from the Jordan. It came about when the priest who carried the ark of the covenant of the Lord had come up from the middle of the Jordan and the soles of the priest's feet were lifted up to the dry ground that the waters of the Jordan held back 17 miles returned to their place and went over all of its banks. before what an amazing event but again you see how the water the people everybody obeyed god in this thing it's all about him no committee by the way could have come up with this plan we couldn't have reasoned this one out this is what only god can do it was a day that glorified god magnified his power amongst the people as long as the ark was in the midst of the river held back by the priest the waters were held back but when the ark moved then the water came crashing back to flood its banks. Verse 19, now the people came up from the Jordan on the 10th of the first month and camped at Gilgal. That's, how, that's where the altar, the memorial was built, on the eastern edge of Jericho. Remember back in verse 5, he says, the place that you camped the first night, that's where you build the altar, was well, Gilgal. The place was at Gilgal. It was eight miles from where they crossed, and it was two miles from Jericho. Oh, my, Jericho. The biggest battle that will ever have in Canaan was next. And look what God did. You build an altar right here. Because you're going to need it, buddy, when you go up against Jericho. Israel crowned their first king at Gilgal in 1 Samuel, verse 11. Verse 20, by the way, tells you it was at Gilgal. They crowned their first king in 1 Samuel 11 at Gilgal. At Gilgal, David was welcomed back from Absalom's rebellion when it was subdued in 2 Samuel 19. Samuel thought Gilgal important enough to include it into his ministry circuit is 1 Samuel 7, 16. There was a school of the prophets at Gilgal in the days of Elijah and Elisha in 2 Kings chapter 2 and chapter 4. But Gilgal was important to Joshua because it became his camp of operations, the center of all of his operations. And what a place to have it right in the middle of it was the memorial of what only God can do in chapter 9, 10, and, verse, and chapter 14. But it was important to Israel because at Gilgal the legacy began after they crossed the Red Sea the memorial was built there and it was important for them and and they understood now how they can go deeper and deeper and deeper into what God had already given to them only by trusting God that memorial stood strong in their midst just before the greatest battle again that memorial was there the legacy to remind God's people of God's power when we're willing to finally give up and give in and yield and bow and say, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, whatever it is, only in your power, but I'm willing to do it. I'm willing to step out on your word. It was now from this point on that this truth to trust God no matter what must be obeyed. It was passed on as a legacy. It was to be passed on as a legacy. Look at verse 21. He said to the sons of Israel, when your children asked their fathers in time to come, saying, what are these stones? And you shall inform your children, saying, Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan before you until you had crossed, just as the Lord your God had done to the Red Sea, which he dried up before us until we had crossed. That all the peoples of the earth may know that the land, the hand of the Lord is mighty, so that you may fear the Lord your God forever. God's power to overcome the obstacles, to hinder Israel, from going into what God had given to them, was a ministry and a witness to the whole world. Verse 24, that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty so that you may fear the Lord your God forever. Powerful message. What a a legacy. What a memorial to build of how God can remove the flooded waters of our flesh and of our circumstances in order to let us enter into everything he has. For us they were to pass on the truth of God and his love for generations to generations to generations but you know what the sad part of the story is what a tragedy the very place that this memorial was built years later they desecrated it Israel and actually worshiped false gods in the very place where once they had worshiped and celebrated God Isn't that incredible what a picture of us today and what we must learn from it. So, what kind of legacy are we leaving? Wrap this thing up. <laughs> what kind of legacy are we leaving? Where are the memorials that have been erected? Where are the leaders that God has exalted? And where is the legacy that God has established? I was in my office as a, young, as a youth director, a youth pastor, years ago. My goodness. <laughs> I shudder to think, back in the 70s, they always gave me a closet or something. It's kind of like here. <laughs> you just grab whatever you can get around this place to get an office. That's kind of the way it was there. We were growing, same type of thing. And they'd taken this closet and made an office for me, and I had a knock on my door one afternoon. Usually kept the door open. Don't know why I had it closed. Opened it up, and this girl walked in to me. I'd never seen her before. Never heard anything like what I was about to hear. She came in cursing. And when I say I mean just cussing. And it was the worst kind of stuff i've ever heard come out of a female's mouth in my life i mean she just went on and on and on and i couldn't say a word and she went on and on and on and on and she said what do you think about that and turned around and slammed the door and walked out on me i went to the secretary i said who in the world was that you don't know who that is i said no said her daddy's one of the wealthiest people in the city one of the biggest contractors that we have in town i said really boy i got an earful A few weeks later, I got a phone call one night about 2 o'clock in the morning. And it said this girl was in the hospital overdosed. Have you ever been in a hospital when people have been overdosed in those kind of rooms? It's on a certain floor. They're padded all the way around with bars so they can't jump out. And they're strapped to the bed. And I walked in there, and she was just straining at that, straining at that. And when I walked in, she just sort of calmed down. And I said, what can I do for you? And she said, I just want you to know. No, I asked her, I said, can I call your daddy? She said, I just want you to know something. I hate my father. And I said, you hate him? Why would you hate your father? And this is what came out of her mouth. She said, he gave me everything I ever wanted. But he never gave me what I needed. What a legacy he had left behind. him. You know what the world says about him? Trophies everywhere. Accolades everywhere. But what God says about him? What kind of legacy are we leaving behind us? What's the lifestyle? Where's the transparency in our life to be able to tell our kids, hey, I messed up. It's all about God. It's not about me. I don't know. I just felt like it was so appropriate on this day to be in chapter 4 of Joshua. Maybe it encouraged or challenged somebody's heart. Would you stand with me with your heads bowed and eyes closed? In a moment, as we just draw that circle around ourselves and nobody's here but just the Lord and us, I want you to listen to the words of this song and I want you to see how maybe God could even speak to you through this song. Especially the men, especially the dads. And this altar is open if you'd like to come and pray this morning, whatever's on your heart. Maybe you're here and you don't know Christ and you'd like to come forward. We're down here. If you'd like to join the church, we'll hang around right here after the service. But whatever, you listen to the words of this song. Your head's bowed and eyes closed. Just you and the Lord listening.
0: and sorrow to the end I will follow and make this the goal of my life I fix my eyes on the prize the the of my faith, my life, help me keep looking straight ahead. And on this long and winding road, I've strayed, I've tried. and surrender, I can stay upon this road that will someday Find me faithful, ever faithful. Make this the goal of my life. Find me faithful. the goal of my life.
1: Oh, Father, that's our prayer this morning. None of us men stand before you, Lord, capable within ourselves. We thank you, Father, for your mercy and your grace, and we thank you, Lord, for the opportunity you give us to make the right choices in life, to say yes to you, to experience the fullness of your power in such a way that the fruit of your Spirit is produced in our life, that people, when we're with them, even sense the sweet fragrance of Christ in our life, but particularly, oh God, our families, our wives, our children. Father, let us be the leaders. Let us be the followers that you want us to be. We'll praise you in Jesus' name, amen. For additional resources or to view our TV program, log on to jashow.org. That's jashow.org.